Welcome to Conversations from Here with me, Dana Ziegler. These candid, unfettered, and unedited talks create connection and inspiration across the human story. These are the sharings of how we came to be ourselves, how we found our life's purpose, and how we made it from there to here. I speak with performers, artists, artisans, creators, innovators, entrepreneurs, and other remarkable people about what they do and how they came to do it. Also, the music you hear on this show is performed, as always, by Brad Watson. Today I speak with singer-songwriter, performance artist, spiritual seeker, and creative force, Adrienne Vanderrocker. We talk about her beginnings in Austin, Texas, finding freedom in music and performance, moving to Seattle and then to New York before landing in Los Angeles, studying with her teacher, Ram Das, experiencing the death of loved ones, forming her band Vanderrocker, and making art in the time of COVID. It's a great talk. Hope you enjoy. Here's me and Adrienne. Go and we are recording. Hello, Adrian Vanderrocker. Thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. Honored to be on your podcast. Thank you. You are one of the people that I that I had in mind um, for ages, and I you know I have this running list of people, and like Adrian, Adrian, <laughs> really happy to have you on. So, um, and and we are just talking about being productive in a very strange time. Um, well, let's, can we, can we start at the beginning? Start, start in, in. Yeah, we can Austin. jump all around. Yeah, Austin. Austin. I, I'm an Austinite. Yeah, I, my family is Dutch American and I grew up in Austin, Texas and lived there until I was 18. And God, um, my family is all classical musicians and singers. And then my, I have three much older sisters and um, 14, 13 and nine years older than me. I was an accident and I'm happy about it. It's all good. <laughs> and then um, they start, my oldest sister started kind of a rock, neoclassical rock band when I was 12 and brought me on. And I was one of those kids that was pretty much mute. I didn't feel like I had permission to be seen or heard. And, <laughs> and but she brought me into um, her band when I was 12 to sing, I could sing, I had good ear. And um, I went into these clubs and started performing and started to put a bee in my bonnet. I really enjoyed it. And then, um, yeah, and I would be underage. I wouldn't be allowed to set foot on the floor. I had to stay on the stage and leave as soon as <laughs> we were done. And um, that, was a, that, was a, that was the beginning, the planting of the seeds. Did, did you, did that help you to come out of your shell in terms of speaking after singing? No, I could only sing. <laughs> wow. I couldn't, I didn't feel, um, yeah, I was, I, w I didn't feel valued for my voice, for my thoughts. I didn't feel, and it wasn't anybody's fault in particular. I think it might've come from, I mean, I had a really loud household and I was sensitive and I think that was just sort of something that manifested in itself. And maybe there's some kind of karmic thing around that as well. You know, you never know. 
maybe some there may be too much competition in the air it was a very competitive household yeah and i i'm not a competitive person by any means yeah. I I see, yeah, I see competition as a means of separating people from one another. And I, I like people too much. And everybody, you know, when you compete, somebody ends up feeling bad at the end. It's like, that's not cool. Mm -hmm. But anyway, so I get why people do it. So you're, 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 you're singing in a band, you're 12 years old, you're going on for a certain amount of time. You're, you're lucky that you have older, <laughs> that's the gift of having older siblings or siblings yeah. is that they introduce you to stuff yeah you win yeah and she also my oldest sister was um she had a four track tape recorder and she would let me play with that every now and then and that was my first um experience handling equipment and technology and learning how to track my own voice i'd only used it on my voice in a recorder i had a court recorder <laughs> remember the flutes in school? I do remember, yeah. Yeah. So um, that was that was a huge gift. So from there, I um, my first, I guess, uh, venture out on my own into the land of performance was um, when I was fourteen. I I snuck out every Friday and Saturday night. My mom had no idea for a year straight and went and performed in the Rocky Horror Picture Show. And I got in fishnets and garter belts. And, <laughs> and I had, I had a, a really interesting experience and I really loved it. And I was a child and I, yeah, and it was a really cool experience. And that was my diving into the nightlife performance scene as well. And the, the community performance scene and that sort of stemmed off into getting involved with the world of performance art eventually which i loved and i'm still still doing i'm actually going to bring it back now during covid we can't play out on a stage mm -hmm. at a club so i think um i'm going to start playing with actual just street performance art again mm -hmm. and um rally a troop and that became, um, I mean, when you when you start performing like that, and you're connected with like-minded people, and Rocky Horror, you're you're a character. You're you're not yourself. You're somebody mm -hmm. else. The freedom that that offers you. It's very empowering and emboldening and um, fun, experimenting and getting inside other characters' skin and seeing how my favorite aspect is just the interaction with strangers and you never know what's <laughs> gonna happen you know and it's it's i haven't really had any bad experiences from it it's been just it's nice to connect with people in sort of an uncommon way where you people like some just as, as an example for daily life, I used to go, you can't do that now during COVID, but I used to carry those little rubber balls in my pocket. Mm -hmm. And if I was standing in a long line at the grocery store, I'd just take one out and bounce it to somebody else that was waiting in another line next to me. And then <laughs> those super balls. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There doesn't need to be anything said, no talk about the weather, no niceties. You're just playing. And everybody is capable of playing and everybody enjoys playing and everybody likes a ball, you know, it's so basic. And like animals, people yeah. also love a ball, yeah. you know, and it taps in, it, it, it gets you back into that child mindset again, you know, like, yeah. Ooh, yeah. 
a yeah. round thing. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And then, and then, um, and, and how lucky you were also to be in Austin because of its music scene and because of its really strong artistic community. I mean, that must have been a riot. Yeah, I um, I didn't know how cool Austin was until I left. Um, it's I think that thing you just take it for granted if that's where you grow up. I did also spend a lot of time in the Netherlands um, as a kid, and so that was sort of the only thing I had to compare it to. Besides, there's Texas and the Netherlands, and yeah. they're so different that you couldn't really compare them. So, but I feel very fortunate to have had that other flavor, you know, in my upbringing. Well, and Texas is is very much its own thing. It's not even specifically American. It's Texan. It's, it's like its own country. It's its own country. Yeah. And where, where did you, when you left, when you left, when you were 18, where did you go next? Then I went to Seattle. And that's when I really um, dove into full-on strange um, dissonant performance art. And I joined a troupe and we would do um, very symbolic metaphoric work like you know smashing light bulbs and and staring at each other for five minutes and then somebody slaps the other person and <laughs> and going in a crowd or you know and doing different things just to interact with them and get people thinking and moving and excited you know we would show up um we just did a lot of weird stuff and you can interpret it your own way. Yeah. So there were sort of like thing. happenings, like happenings in different places and then, yeah. and then something would happen and then people would react differently depending on who they were. Yeah. I like the, the feeling of creating mystery for people. I don't like making them feel threatened, but I like creating um, that sense of like, whoa, what is that? What is, yeah, what's going on? Even if it's like, what's that's happening? a weird person. I don't know about that, you know, but it's still intriguing and makes you, I don't know. I think people quite, you know, survey their own creative outlets and how they connect with other people and how they, can take stock in themselves as their own art project and their own creation, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. <laughs> well, and also um, for, for people standing in lines who are stuck in line, <laughs> it provides entertainment, but also a way of activating curiosity and interest and maybe activating intellectual curiosity, which is always important. It just froze up and then did this fast forward speed thing. <laughs> we, had, we just had like some kind of time warp just now. Yeah, I live in Topanga Canyon now and my reception's funky. So sometimes that happens and calls get dropped all the time. If something happens and we get disconnected, I'll call you right back. Just a, uh, yeah. Wow, a Topanga. It is a vortex. Topanga portal vortex. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Um, and then, and then, were you doing were you doing um, music also when you I were was, in Seattle? I started writing um, when I was a teenager, and um, and started doing. I so I at one point thought I was going to go join the circus. I was going to go study circus arts in London, and um, and I opted to go to New York and do this um, 
Suzuki and viewpoints training. I was just going for eight weeks. Mm -hmm. And then I ended up staying longer and I ended up becoming um, an artist uh, model. And that was my introduction to New York. I'd never been there before. Mm -hmm. And what a cool way to discover the city, like from all these dingy underground art studios where people come and draw and paint and the smells and the historic buildings. And, and then you'd be invited to, you know, penthouse apartments that are, you know, overlooking the whole city for other, you know, well, well-established artists. And so I was writing music, I was doing performance art, and then that was my day job and sometimes night job. Wow, and what an, what an amazing introduction to New York, because that's yes. another place that's very much its own thing. Yes, and that's also where I um, was introduced to Kundalini Yoga. Uh-huh. That's where that whole life started as well. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> and then how long were you in New York for? I was there five years, five and a half years, and um, met my husband there, and we got married right after 9-11. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And then, uh, and then we ended up moving to LA. Wow. And, and again, huge culture shift. Huge. LA. And, I've never and, been to LA either. Wow. And what, and did, then, what did you make of it when you got here? Were you like, Oh, I was so happy. I actually oh, yeah. was, I, I was pretty ready to leave New York by that point. We didn't have a car until the last, I didn't have a car until the last year of living there. And I felt like I was stuck in a concrete jungle and I, I'm a nature girl. Like when I lived in Seattle before then I was going hiking in the mountains three times a week and yeah. get earthing and balancing and healing with that. And I couldn't, I didn't have access to that. You know, Central Park was the closest you could get. Mm -hmm. And also, um, when I lived there, I lived in Brooklyn, um, in Williamsburg, in this building that was so, I loved the landlord dearly. He's such a character, but this building was falling apart. <laughs> and I'm asthmatic and I have horrible allergies. And so I was really sick there a lot of the time. It was very dusty. We had rats coming out of the, we had whole, we were on the ground floor and we had holes in the floor going to the basement and rats the size of like a football <laughs> were coming up into the kitchen. Yeah. We were, it was interesting. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You had wildlife, unwelcome wildlife in your apartment. <laughs> we had wildlife in our house and we had two dogs that would tear them up. It was crazy. So, and then, um, we had a, we built a photo studio, a dark room in that apartment. And that was where um, I sort of, I took photography in high school and loved it, but I started to really get into it deeper there. And then, um, and then started to do more videography work of my own, and putting um, little art house things together, which I do now and I'm getting deeper into again, so. Were the rats also working on their own creative projects? With <laughs> taking our flooring and building some sort of mansion for themselves in the basement. <laughs> wow. So you, so you come to LA and then um, how, did you, how did you continue your, your artistic pursuits here? Or was it, was it a fairly, fairly 
simple drop in? Uh, it, I guess it's always like two steps forward, one step back. And I started writing more for um, the internet and kids stuff and little shorts. Um, I started writing music for other people and that's between that and I got a job at Whole Foods and, you know, and um, to pay the bills. But I was still doing um, a lot of performance and getting to know the LA scene, which I loved. Like people were nicer here. <laughs> people yeah. said morning to you on the streets. I didn't have that as much in, the, in Brooklyn. There is definitely an East Coast. Um, people are very much directed in their own, you know, on their own line from point A to point B on the East Coast. It's more abrupt. It's more direct. It's more like people can also like as you get to know them, they they become very warm and and you know friendly and everything. Absolutely. But but the but the but the general sort of public face, you know, in the East it's, Coast is like boom. it's harsh. It can be harsh. Yeah. Yeah. And I wasn't accustomed to it, and I it I definitely developed a thicker skin after my New York experience, which you need, yeah. you know. And then so. you come here, and you're and you're surrounded by oh hey man, you're surrounded by <laughs> LA people who are but you know. But I, I don't know. I have to say that there's something that I prefer about the directness, really, because like the, the LA thing, it's on the surface it might seem nicer, but is yeah. it? Yeah, that's. Absolutely. My little observation about living here for seven years. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. I I I like the um a little bit of the character. I like I like a cross. I definitely grew to love a lot of New Yorkers and and handled um that energy mm -hmm. well by the end of my stay there. I did not so much in the beginning. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, well, everyone have, have a nice day. But yeah, and just also we lived in a, a really dangerous neighborhood at the time in, in Brooklyn. And I couldn't walk back from the train by myself. Um, my husband had to come pick me up. Mm -hmm. It was, it was, uh, it was pretty crazy. Like we had someone get stabbed on our doorstep one oh, night. People that were cracked out would be banging on the door in the middle of the night because they went into sleep in the hallway. And, you know, it was, it was bad. But it's all gentrified now. Right. I was going to say it's totally church. different now than it was then. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and then, and then, so then you're here and then you're continuing your music. And then when did you form, when did you form Band Rocker? Band Rocker was, so I was just writing music for other people um, and writing for myself on the side. And then eventually I was like, well, you know, I, I want to have my own full on project instead of, you know, giving all the music away to other people. I want to take it and make, make some food out of it for myself and for other people. And so I had, um, I started it up, but it had kind of more of a, I don't know, definitely had more of a performance arty aspect for the live shows because we would do games with people and pull people up on stage and have them. Um, we had a couple songs that were, the lyrics were based on what we would get from our audience. So they would help co-create the lyrics on the spot. 
it was really fun. And we, you know, do things where people had to write down their wishes and dreams and, and then we would read them in certain, it was very uh, interactive. And then, um, and yeah, and it's, it's, there was some aspect of it that was just music group, kind of like we would put out records and, and stuff to hear on the radio, but there's, um, it, that's not what it is exactly. It's more of a kind of experience. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And that's just one project now. I also have um, the yoga mantra music stuff, but I'm definitely putting more time into Vanderrocker mm -hmm. these days for sure. And then, and then can we talk a little bit about your association with Ram Das and how that uh, Ram Das, most incredible person on the planet. Um, I was listening to and reading his work um, for years and then realized he had, I don't know what prompted me, but I got online one day and saw that there was a retreat that he was hosting in Hawaii. And I went and I, I fell in love and I started to go to these retreats. And then I started to do um, private visits, retreats to his house. And I kind of, he just became kind of grandpa energy for me and so wise, so full of love, so all accepting. And he's got such a colorful background. <laughs> yeah. Richard Alpert. Richard Alpert, yes. Yeah, he's amazing. So he's been kind of, um, I still, he passed last December. And I still talk to him constantly. And I feel like I get, I get a response. You know, I feel like he's totally connected to all of us still. He's, he's created quite a family. I so. have no doubt in my mind that he is still deeply connected with all of you because he was preparing for that transition. And yeah. he's, I, if anyone can transcend those worlds, it's that guy <laughs> for sure. Yeah, he communicated so beautifully. Like he made some really esoteric concepts really palatable and understandable and accessible. And he was funny. He had this wicked sense of humor. He was such a good delivery of, of information, deliverer of information and and powerful that way. He was a powerful communicator. Mm -hmm. I remember the story about um, him going to India. This was back when he was, he was uh, studying the effects of LSD and took some to India and went to his teacher named Karoli Baba, right? Uh -huh. Yep. And gave him some, explained what it was and gave him some. And, um, and then he took it and had no effect at all, nothing. And then gave him a little bit more and nothing, you know. Yeah. Of course it was because his mind was already in that place. So LSD had no effect on him. And that was like a really profound. And he ended up asking for more and more and ended up having so much that any person would have been like, I don't remember the amount, but it was like 10 times. Yeah. What? We'd be on another planet by that time. Okay. Yeah. But it didn't affect him. Yeah. And he said, he said, oh, oh, and he asked him, Ramdas asked him, well, you know, is this something that could be 
you know, useful to help people open their minds. And, and he said, um, maybe, maybe for beginners, <laughs> like, like a little introduction. It's a know? doorway. Yeah. It's a doorway. They yeah. have all these things are tools, part of the toolbox. Mm -hmm. Like he, he used psychology and studied psychology and taught it and was a practicing psychotherapist for psychologists for many years and used that as a gateway to consciousness. Yeah. And then, At Harvard. At Harvard with, with Tim Leary. Start, right. Yeah. He started teaching at Harvard and Tim Leary introduced him to psycho um, psychedelics. And I think they used mushrooms the most. Um, and that was like a, another doorway that was quicker to get to that level of consciousness for him. And then once he went to India and met Neem Karoli Baba and started to really dive into meditation, he was like, all these people are reaching that space without any drugs and without mm -hmm. that whole psychology. They're using their minds and spirits. And so that was another doorway. It's, it's interesting. And people use, um, people use all of them. And I don't know how many people really put it all together, but he did. Well, and, and it just goes to show that there are many paths to the same place. Yeah. You know, um, there, there are probably some people who don't have the patience or the discipline or even the access to the knowledge in order to learn meditation practice and get to that, you know, become such an adept that they would reach that place. And for them, it's helpful to have something that helps them to get there. And, yeah. and I, oh, I think, I think it was him who also um, came up with the concepts of set and setting and how important that is in terms of what, what people take, how much and where they are and the conditions under which they're 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 doing this and how important that is so that they're in a supportive safe environment to have this experience he worked a lot with the dying um as well in um, consciousness and using psychedelics mm -hmm. and he would use it as um a clarifying tool and the healing tool in helping them tie up loose ends and sort of prepare for their transition especially psilocybin because that is and I don't have any experience in any psychotropics at all, but just what I've heard is that psilocybin is something that's a little gentler and, um, and something that people generally have a very, very positive experience with and that it, it helps to, um, to, to, uh, to foster a feeling of well-being and calm mm. joy. And that that is, if you're, at the, if you're at end of life, end stage, that sometimes, of course, and I, I know this from having been with my mom as she was mm -hmm. dying this year, um, uh, that now in her case, I think she had done all the work beforehand mm -hmm. because she was so directed and so, um, so present for the whole thing. And she didn't have, she didn't seem to have struggle, you know, uh, or fear. It's like she had, she had had it all worked out. Mm. Um, but for a lot of people, there is a lot of um, inner conflict and fear and terror because your physical body is is going to cease to exist, and and yeah. that's this enormous existential crisis, and that's where the holding on comes in, and that's where the psilocybin and such things can help to release that, you know, 
Yeah, that's so beautiful that your mom had such a lovely attitude towards it. My mom couldn't talk about death. And I think that's part, she had Alzheimer's. And I think that was another tool given to her to be able to go through the process. She wasn't really aware that she was dying. Yeah. So, you know, it's, it's interesting what is available and what we're presented with that are actual gifts and useful and utilitarian. Is that a word? Their utility yeah. <laughs> for these really can be scary experiences. Mm -hmm. It's interesting. And and you were present for your mom, weren't you? It was. Yeah. Um, my I wasn't there while she died. I was on. She was on Vashon Island, and I was there that weekend um, right. with my little boy. And I got to see her. You know how sometimes they. Um, say people have kind of a, a burst of life yeah where they pass we got to be there she had just had her birthday and a couple days later she had this um that experience and my son and i went to she was staying in a, a house that were that specialized in memory care and she was just so like charming and vibrant and making jokes and and you know and before that the whole few months before that she was just sort of slumped over in this vegetative state mm -hmm. but i was like wow it, <laughs> she my son went to go hug her and he's a little kid and and doesn't you know want to engage unless it's completely on his own terms and she was like what are you afraid to kiss a lady and it's like making all these <laughs> And I, yeah, and then I was like, I wonder what that is, if that's the, the burst. And she, mm -hmm. um, yeah, she died the next day, I think. Wow. Yeah. So I could do a whole lot of living in that last energy burst. Yeah. It's so yeah. interesting how that, how that happens. That happened kind of with my mom as well. It was a few days before. And you think, wow, you know, you're almost convinced that persons, I mean, some people actually get up and get out of bed and start walking around. I mean, it's, very, <laughs> it's very strange. She didn't, but she certainly was very talkative, you know, a few days yeah. before and kind of holding court, you know, as people would come. Yeah. And, her. and then, and then after that, it's the, they, they go, they go within. So how wonderful that you saw that part. Yeah. You know, yeah. because that's that, that because, um, it, it probably allowed her to go more easily with you not there at the end because sometimes they'll hold on when their loved one is there. She went in her sleep. It was 4 mm -hmm. in the morning. And um, and I, I was sort of disappointed that I didn't, didn't get to hold space for her because I felt like, um, I don't know, I wanted to, to be there with her. And then here, I was grateful that I was at least on the island at the time. Mm -hmm. And then my sister and I, my sister lives there too. Um, we went and held vigil and spent time with her body and I anointed it and we did prayers for her. We sang happy birthday to her mm -hmm. over her body. Um, yeah, and, and then the whole, and that day it started snowing and it didn't stop for three weeks. It was the biggest snow Vashon had had in like, 80 years or something. My mom loves snow. <clears throat> so it felt very serendipitous for, and not a coincidence at all. It was, um, it was beautiful. And she actually was stuck on the island for a week 
<laughs> before she got cremated because because of the snow and it almost feels like that was she needed that time to because she had such a hard time with the idea of getting old and dying she might have needed that time to um have her body intact before you know letting go of it who knows who am i to say but it could be she was really resistant to it she wouldn't go look at um she wouldn't talk about it she wouldn't go look at homes you know she it was too scary for her to look at the idea of getting older and of losing control and of of the idea of losing your dignity yeah your ability to care for yourself it's it's extremely difficult and i know that my mom was faced with she was going to have to go into some kind of assisted care and she didn't want that because she had yeah. lived by herself but she was at the point where she could no longer care for herself and then she was never recovering from anything and so elected to 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 do hospice and stop eating and stop drinking and um wow. you know, it was a it, it was a warrior's choice yeah it absolutely was it was i'm going out on my terms i'm not going to another hospital i'm not going to a long-term care facility i want to die at home with my kids with me so my Amazing. brother and i yeah that's beautiful and you and i were in touch during that period and that helped me so much it really did and um you know it was interesting that um so our friend job Dottom, wonderful yeah. great teacher friends um she she said to me after that i had gotten a text from her and she said if you, you might feel a little unbalanced after this because the person who has been there since you have been alive is now gone yeah and you might feel like you're kind of blowing this way and that a little bit and i really appreciated her saying that um, yeah. she said you might feel a bit unmoored but interestingly it didn't really happen it was kind of um i think it was because my mom was so at peace mm. with with going and that there was no longer anxiety on my part or my brother eric's part of oh god you know what's gonna happen you know what's the next thing you know is she gonna yeah. fall is she gonna you know what's gonna happen is she gonna end up at hospital because i'd get a call from my brother and i'd think oh shit, what now you know what's happened right and um but there was no more of that there was no more suffering and that kind yeah. of you know that relief and release uh was the really and her joy at being free i mean that mm -hmm. was the thing that has has followed me you know ever since then yeah and did you find did you feel that after your your mom passed I relief yeah and i would get that thing with the phone ringing at a strange hour mm. it's like oh you tense up and there's this wave of panic that goes through you because i also lost a sister a few years yeah. before that yeah. and then um and my dad as well so every and my dad and my mom were expected so you know every time the phone would ring and be like oh god oh god it's news about them mm -hmm. and so there was that you know there is that relief that that wasn't happening anymore but i definitely felt um the main relief was that they were free mm -hmm. and they were free of suffering they um could go someplace where they felt good yeah I really believe you end up going to a place where you feel filled with unconditional love you're just swimming in it 
I think so. I know after my dad passed in, in um, 2008, I, I remember vividly, I think it was the day after it happened and I was not physically there. I was due to, to fly in on that day. And my brother had actually told me, don't, don't come because it's really mm. bad and I don't want you to see this. Mm. So I ended up not, not going. And then he, he ended up dying in the middle of the night um, at a, at a care. It was a, it was a rehab hospital because he had been through just horrendous things for five and a half months in and out of ICU. I mean, it was really, really mm. bad, but after the fact it was like the next day i felt him around it was, it was sort of like in our family we always kind of had that sort of real connection you know with each other yeah. and um and i remember him telling me hi hun hi i'm okay i'm having fun oh. like he was behind a scrim it was like he was behind he was in another place but he was like zooming around and having a great time and <laughs> i and so I, I didn't feel sad for him. I actually felt oh, like yeah. relief, you know? Yeah. yeah. I didn't feel sad for any of my, my deceased uh, family either. It's, it's definitely, um, well, the, the tragic uh, death was my um, sister yeah. and her daughter, both, to both tragic. And, but when my sister died, um, it was drug and alcohol related and she had been suffering and depressed and um i knew so it happened twice she um came and she made my body warm like when i was cold like it it wasn't like oh i'm starting to get warm like maybe i just walked a lot no it was like i'm slipping into a hot bath mm. it was very tactile change and it would happen it floated through for 10 seconds or so and i'm sitting there going that's elise that's elise <laughs> that's my sister uh -huh. and and then it would leave and it was both times where um where the family was viewing the body one was the family viewing the body and then um the second one was um a family meeting at the place where her body was wow having a meeting about how to handle her services. And I was like, okay, she's here right now. And she's good. Mm -hmm. You're good with her now. <laughs> it's like it's amazing the different ways the messages can be conveyed. And they sound bizarre and out there, but once you experience it, it's without a doubt they're doing okay. They're doing I, I, I kind of love the fact that we can't really explain it. I, yeah. I love the fact that there are things that are beyond our understanding and maybe someday we will understand it when we're, when it's happening to us. But yeah. I, I find comfort in that, you know, whatever that means and whatever form that is. But I, I do think that we, we um, certainly during that transition period, as, as we are dying and as we pop off into the next realm, whatever that is, I do believe that we, we, we see what we want to see and we see the people that we want to see. I yeah. have no doubt about that. Yeah. It is what you want is what you get at the yeah. end. Yeah. And you get to see your, your dogs again and you get to see your yeah. friends and your family and all of that. And whatever happens as we flow back to the source, whatever, you know, whatever that is, it is the, it is the last great adventure, isn't it? You know, and it, 
Have you ever read a journey of souls or destiny of souls? And I think there's a third one too. I can't remember. Huh. Guy, um, he's a, he's a hypnotherapist and he did years of research, um, hypnotizing people on to find where they go after in between lives. So what happens once they pass, it's interesting. <laughs> and it's universal in the experience. Yeah. It doesn't matter what culture these people have come from. It doesn't matter what their belief system was growing up. Like they all have this universal experience. Yeah. Like these are the people who have died and come back. It's the after, it's the after death and they yeah. got to the point where they were dying and they, and they got sent back again. And they talk about what, what they, uh, what their goals and missions are for about before they jump into the next life mm -hmm. so they can have a plan and <laughs> and then we're shown how some of that's manifested in their life mm -hmm. it might not be it might yeah it's really interesting stuff and then anita morjani her story um she she wrote a book called dying to be me and she's got a lovely voice she has an audiobook version of it too that she narrates and um, she had a near-death experience and a, a radical um, cancer remission healing. And she remembered her um, out-of-body experience precisely and recounts it beautifully and meets up with her dad who had passed and talks to her guides and comes back with all this information to share. Like she had she healed her body which was riddled with tumors the sizes of lemons if i remember well went away within a couple of weeks like <laughs> wow amazing yeah so and i think that when when you go through the experience of losing a loved one and especially when you're present or or have been with them you know shortly before they go um it changes you doesn't it like you don't see things the same and you don't relate to other people in the same way. Yeah. I For remember better. Yeah. When my sister died, that was my first big death in my life. And I remember everything being stripped back and just seeing that all the only thing that was important was our relationships and love. Mm -hmm. That was it. That's mm -hmm. the and it was so, it was such a relief to have that clarity at that time. And then eventually you start to heal and the little dramas get bigger and your little, you know, all this stuff that we, you know, build up to have so much meaning. It's, it's not, it's all that matters is how we connect with one, one another. It's interesting. Did it change at all your your artistic expression after losing your dad and, and your mom and your sister? Yeah, well, I'd already been dealing, um, working with a lot of um, depression and anxiety my, pretty much my whole life, and especially mm -hmm. since I became a teenager. So I, that started my, um, I guess, seeking um, life. And I would skip school as a teenager and go bunk out in the library and read the Tao Te Ching and, and then I started to get into Ram Dass's work and all these other people and um so I was already kind of a lot of my art was already geared towards a lot of um love and consciousness and stuff and and I didn't want to be like 
Disneyland about it. You know, there's, I want it to be more well-rounded and relatable and talk about, um, you know, the duality. I, I end up talking about duality in my music a lot. It was just brought to my attention a couple months ago. I'm like, wow, <laughs> that's true. Um, about how we have to be in the, in the story and we have to get in that experience that stress to learn the lesson and have the suffering to sculpt our, to shape our being, you know, in this life. And it's what we do with it. So a lot of, a lot of this stuff, and then especially when I got into Ram Dass's world, I started to do more, um, I started this project of um, Hanuman Chalisas mm-hmm. and is a devotional chant to Lord Hanuman. And Hanuman was who Neem Kroli Baba, it was his, that was his God, mm-hmm. and therefore became Ram Dass and the whole satsangs um, guy. And so I started doing a project of 11 Hanuman Chalisas, and I've only got three so far. It might be a lifelong thing, but that's, that's how I can do it directly. And then I have, um, you know, my healing music, um, mantra music. I can do it all directly with that. But for Van Rocker, for the rock stuff, like I get to do it through diving into the mud more so in the muck and pain and all the dramas and and I think it's important to talk about them and find the beauty pull out find those lotuses you know the rock and roll is where the grit lies you need the salt you need it yeah you need the dirt it's important so and the fact that that you're joining like and and of course you and i met in kundalini Mm -hmm. yoga training and and you know we talked so much about the sound current and about uh, that the connection through that and joining others around you during the meditation sessions and whatnot and then also connecting with you know something else and um and and so using music and song in its different forms, whether it's devotional chants like the Hanuman Kalisa or the, or, um, you know, rock and roll with Vander Rocker. Um, it's all like, I don't know, I kind of see it as sort of all devotional and it's different in different forms. Thank you for that. I, that's, it is devotional to me. It is all in different forms. And a lot of it does not appear that way to a lot of other people, <laughs> but it is. They just don't understand it. <laughs> but it is. It's come from my heart and my belly, and it's it's um, it's a absolute product of love. <clears throat> and then the rock and roll stuff is is also really fun and just so really expressive and creative, and you can wear cool clothes and like which produces its own product, you know. Yeah. It's like you need the prana and apana in every aspect of music, and you can get it. Yeah, it's awesome. And what is your fa- What is your favorite? I mean, like if you, you know, if you could, if you could do a um, a live performance tonight, you know, would it be would it be of like mantras and and um, Hanuman songs, or or would it be? Uh, <laughs> So this is my my character I'm working with right now. Uh-huh. I'm in this, um, bunny I'm in, ears, bunny ears, and a fuzzy face. 
It's like it's like a mix between a rabbit and a coyote. Yeah. Something. It's some kind of weird creature. Huh. We're, uh, I'm actually doing a, a little street thing with this character we're building on Sunday. <laughs> yeah, so tell me about this. This is your latest uh, latest thing with regard to performance art. What what form is it taking? Um, well, so okay, so I have an EP um, coming out in on November thirteenth, and it's going to go to radio November sixteenth, and it's very experimental, very avant garde. And what's it called? It's called the Good Punk. Good punk. Good punk. And um, there's four tracks on it, five including a bonus instrumental version of one of the tracks. It's, um, it's so it's the music's experimental and it's going to have um, some pretty wacky um, music videos to go with it, which will be conjoined and turned into a short film afterwards. <clears throat> we're starting um, filming on two of the tracks on the 8th and 9th. So this is all kind of happening simultaneously. We're did so one of the pieces is erotic and we're going to be um, the cult for you. Mm -hmm. We're going to be shooting that one. I have a real life couple that are aerialists and movers and performers and we're going to do a, a black and white kind of silent movie style um slightly paranormal themed erotic video with these two and then we're gonna do um endless city as well so i have these characters um i have this amazing friend artist mimi Haddon, who has been building crazy awesome characters um she makes these masks she makes these costumes some of her, I have a video called Creature of Habit, which is very weird, that she um, shot and costumed. If you look at it, it's, I'm, I'm playing like this red alien creature. And, <laughs> and so we're going into that world again, not the Creature of Habit world, but we're going into this um, dress up performance art thing. There's one track on here um, on the Good Punk called Taking Notes that is extra experimental and it has a narrative over a kind of um, contemporary spin on a 70s funk, I guess, I would say. And it's really about uh, kind of, of putting humanity under um, in a petri dish, dish under a microscope for aliens to look at and analyze and be tempted to go be one of them for a little bit and then pull back because humanity's wacky. They it's, might already be doing that. They might be, <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, so I like looking at, um, I like the idea of observing people from an outsider's point of view. It's mm -hmm. fun. Mm -hmm. So that's, um, what we're doing with the street art. I'm dressing up as a really weird creature that's not quite human. And I'm going around observing humans and interacting with them. And <laughs> that's happening Sunday. So that's what that mask is about. And that's how it's being incorporated into this EP. And then we're, um, there's more street art to come. Mm -hmm. and, um, just doing a little bit at a time.
And this is wonderful because this is a way of, 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 you know, despite all the shutdowns and limitations on our movement and social interaction that you're still keeping this, this creative expression alive and this engagement alive. Right. Like we can't be in the clubs right now. So we'll bring it to the street and do it as COVID safe as possible and still be able to um, play with people and get, uh, get our jujus out and get people interacting and playing with us and having fun and getting inspired. I think that that's actually a real, that's a real gift for these times. I think that people might be more um, receptive now than at mm -hmm. other times in a certain way because they haven't been able to go and go see shows, go see performances, go to music gigs, and to be able to have that kind of that kind of uh, exchange, I would think, would be really well received. Yeah, and anything I've done in the street in the past, it's already fun. You know, people just like people love to be entertained for one thing, but people also like interacting with the unknown and people it's it's so nice to just you know everybody play with each other's energy a little bit and see what dynamics come up everybody's got something to offer it's lovely and and also we're, we're in los angeles so <laughs> you know, people, people are not like it's sort of like in new york you know people are like that's new york you know like people are not shocked or surprised or frightened by something different they're like oh yeah. what's yeah. what's happening it's it you know it's something so people are able to kind of you know engage creatively or, or yeah. laugh or you know whatever it is but and we are going to um we we are going to be hearing your track uh cult for you um, something that I love and um, and it and it and it reminded me um, not to give anything away but it just kind of like it I had images of of the cure and of Blondie that's what nice. was in my head during that track so um, people are gonna love it they're gonna love the EP awesome. um, I'm really excited for it to come out and um, this has been so much fun, my dear. I'm just so <laughs> glad that you're able to, to thanks for, for your time today and for- Thank you. It's so nice to see your face and hear your voice. And see the kitty cat behind me. And the kitty cat. <laughs> Jack. Nice. Thank you so much, my dear. This was lovely. Thank you, thank you. Thank you. Sending love. Ah, always so good to catch up with my friend, Adrienne. She is one of those great bright lights in the world. And since we were talking about music today, I wanted to close with a track from her soon-to-be-released EP, The Good Punk. That's the name of the EP. And the track is Cult For You. If it reminds you a little bit of The Cure and a little bit of Blondie, you would not be wrong. That was what was going through my head when I heard it. I love the track. Great stuff. She does some amazing music, and I hope you will investigate further following the link www.vendorucker.com. Until next week, take good care of each other, and I'll see you on the other side.